This evening, our call to worship comes from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Please turn with me in the scriptures to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 33 through 37, 33 through 37. So you, you will know, if you know the scriptures, that this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's introduced it with the Beatitudes at the beginning of chapter 5. And then he's called us as Christians, those part of the kingdom, to be, to be salt and light in this world. And then he says he has come to, to bear witness himself, fulfilling the law, not getting rid of it, but fulfilling it. And he then describes what this looks like. And he, in verse 33, he addresses the third and ninth commandments in particular. So let's read the word of, the word of God, beginning at verse 33. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. So far the reading of God's holy word. Dear church family, this evening we once more will be turning to the Heidelberg Catechism and we'll pick up our study at Lord's Day 37. You can find, you can find the, this Lord's Day on page 74 in the back of your Psalters. Let's read the two questions together. Question 101. May we then swear religiously by the name of God? Answer. Yes, either when the magistrates demand it of the subjects or when necessity requires us thereby to confirm fidelity and truth to the glory of God and the safety of our neighbor. For such an oath is founded on God's word and therefore was justly used by the saints both in the Old and New Testament. Question 102. May we also swear by saints or any other creatures? Answer, no. For a lawful oath is calling upon God as the only one who knows the heart, that he will bear witness to the truth and punish me if I swear falsely, which honor is due 
to no creature. As we continue our study through the law of God in relationship to what it means to live thankful lives for what God has done for us in saving us from from sin, in delivering us from the bondage of sin, in, in pouring out His grace upon upon our guilty hearts and lives. We once more tonight come again to the third commandment and to a particular aspect of the third commandment. Now it's to be noted that this is the only, the only commandment that has two Lord's Days dedicated to it. Not only and I think this speaks to the historic nature of our catechism. The catechism was written in a, a particular period of history, a particular period of time. And some of the, some aspects of our catechism reflect that nature, that history. The catechism was, was written primarily to, to teach and address the fundamental truths of the scriptures, the primary truths of the scriptures. In a, in a question and answer format. But it was also written, uh, and the reformers took opportunity within the catechism to address specific issues to their day and age. And one of those issues is the swearing at lows. If I were to ask in our, in our context and in, in among our church community, and you say, do we, do we struggle with swearing of oaths or with our understanding of them and their place of them? I don't think it would be an issue that was readily present, would be not at the top of the list, as it were. But it was an issue during the Reformation. And it was an issue on several fronts, in fact. Now, the, first, the first reason it was included and addressed with, was a pastoral reason. As the Reformation was taking its roots, as, as Roman Catholics were leaving the Roman Catholic Church and coming out, particularly those monks and nuns who had made monastic vows were coming out of the Roman Catholic Church into a, an under, a biblical understanding of the Christian religion. The Reformers had to address the question, was it okay to break an oath? What, what is the place of an oath? And under what circumstances? The second aspect that they were addressing was it was actually very common in Roman Catholic circles and practices to swear by people, angels, saints, and not just by, on, by God. And so they're dealing with this corrupt understanding of what it means to swear an oath. And the third reason that the Reformers had to address this is there was, on the, as part of the Reformation movement, we had the Anabaptist movement, where they held that the Scriptures forbade the swearing of any oaths or the taking of any vows at all. And so there was the need for instruction on this front as well, that there are legitimate places 
to take vows, and to swear oaths. And for this reason, the Reformers saw fit to add a a separate Lord's Day on this particular issue. And it was a significant topic that continued to maintain and be part of that needed to be addressed for some hundred plus years. And we look at the Westminster Assembly and the and the Westminster Confession of Faith. It has an entire chapter on the place of vows in the Christian religion. But maybe you're asking the question, one that I asked as I was preparing for this message, what, what is the significance, what is the relevance of oaths and vows and our understanding of it for us today in, in our life, in, in our walk with the Lord? Why, why is this an important topic to consider? Well, we hope to, to consider that uh, today in this, in this message. It is a topic that Jesus addressed on several occasions in his earthly ministry. We read one of them from Matthew 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, which after his introduction, Jesus begins calling those who are the children of God, those who are heirs of the kingdom of God, to be people who walk the walk, who demonstrate who they are by being the salt and light of this of this world. And Jesus begins to expound what this looks like in in day-to-day life. He first tells them that and emphasizes the reality that the law is relevant still. It's not done away with. Yes, he came to fulfill the law, but he did not come to, to abandon it, to do away with it. Jesus is teaching that this living out the law is not just through mere outward performance of duties and daily activities, but it is something that ought to flow from our very heart. The law needs to be written on our hearts so that it is then lived out with delight and desire. And Jesus begins to demonstrate this by looking at various commandments, particularly from the second table of the law. He begins by looking in verses 21 through 26 of Matthew 5 at the sixth commandment and how we don't just break the sixth commandment when we physically murder someone, but we break it when we have hatred in our in our hearts. And then he looks at the seventh commandment saying we don't commit adultery when we, com- when we break a marriage and are, are married already and, and then commit adultery by having a relationship with someone else. But Jesus says we break this commandment when we, lost, we look with our eyes and lust at another. And in our verses, verses 33 through 37, Jesus addresses the root and the heart of swearing oaths and the need for oaths. And that's what we hope to look at. He provides clear instruction regarding the place and value of oaths and vows in the life of the people of God by by calling them in the first place, calling them to be people who, who mean what they say, 
not because of who they are or their ability to be truthful, but because of who the Lord our God is and his call for us to be like him. Whether this is in daily life, as we go about our daily lives, activities, whether it's in the workplace or in the home, whether it's here at church, or in those moments where we are and desire to make vows in a particular context and setting. So our theme this evening is, do you mean what you say? And we want to consider this, children, with three questions. What, why, and how? In the first place, we want to know, what is Jesus teaching regarding this swearing of oaths? And the second is, why is this teaching from Jesus, why is it important? And then thirdly, we want to say, well, we'll look at the question, how? How is this teaching relevant for our day, our lives right here and now? Now, Jesus, in verse 33, picks up on his third example of the need to go beyond the mere external keeping of the law. And he begins, like he did in the previous two examples, by by going back to the Old Testament. And we read in verse 33, Again, you have heard that it hath been said of by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. Once more, our our Savior goes back to the Old Testament, to the very Word of God. He's not quoting directly this time, though. He's actually pulling together a number of different quotes and summarizing them in the statement. And he may be referring particularly to, for instance, he might be referring to Leviticus 19, verse 12, where we read in, Ye shall not swear by by name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Or maybe he's also referring to Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or if he swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Or maybe he's referring to Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear, forbear to vow, it shall not be, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips, thou shalt keep and perform even a free will offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised unto thy mouth. Jesus reminds his hearers, and he reminds us of what the Lord our God has gave in terms of instruction in the scriptures concerning, concerning vows. And remember, remember, children, Jesus said that he had come to fulfill that law, but not, and not to abolish it. So the principles behind these instructions are, and passages are still valid to this day. 
But then what does Jesus mean when he says in verse 34, But I say unto you, swear not at all. Children, is Jesus contradicting himself and the word of God? Of course not. But to help us understand what Jesus is is saying and what he is not saying, we need to first understand what do we mean by an oath or a vow? Or what do we mean to swear an oath or to swear a vow? Well, to, to swear an oath... And this is, I mean, I'm first going to start off by going to just the Oxford Dictionary. To swear an oath means to make a solemn declaration or statement with an appeal to God. And then they add in, or a superhuman being, or some sacred object in confirmation of what is said. To swear an oath is to make a statement, a statement, a statement that we are of fact, of reality, but then calling upon one that is larger, greater, more glorious than us to confirm what we've said, to hold us accountable. And children, there's only one who knows everything, and that is God. And he, so we call, we swear a name in, uh, an oath in his name, calling him to witness what we've said. Related to swearing an oath, closely related, is the idea of stating or making vows. And with this, the main difference is these are solemn promises made to God of action that will be performed. Vows are taken voluntarily of one's own human accord. But oaths may be required. We can think of if you, if children, maybe someday when you're older, you will be called to serve or come into a court of law, maybe to be a witness on a particular trial. And you will have to Swear an oath that you're going to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. And you will lay your hand on the scriptures. And you will swear that oath. That what you're about to say is true. There you're required by law to make that oath. Vows, on the other, other hand, are voluntarily made. When two, when two, a young man and a young woman desire to be united in marriage, they, they come willingly and make those vows to each other in the sight of God. Oaths and vows, we find them throughout the scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament. Every covenant that was made in the scriptures that was made between two people or between God and and a group of people were formed with the basis of a vow or an oath. And every time the Lord made a, a covenant with his people, the Lord promises, for instance, to be a God to his people. He swears by his own name. Because there is no one greater for him to swear by. 
And this is what the Apostle in Hebrews 6 directs her attention to as, as the Apostle reflecting on the promise that God made to Abraham as he, as he swore to be, a, to be his God and to be the God of his people. And what he would do for Abraham, God swore by his own name. As we read in Hebrews 6, verse, verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willingly more abundantly to show unto them, to show unto them heirs of the promise, the immobility, immobility of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. God swore by his own name that he would fulfill the promise made to Abraham. And it's true with every covenant that the Lord made with his people. is rooted and grounded in the reliability of his character and his being, because God could swear by no other. We find oaths throughout the scripture. We think of Joshua as he stood with the people of Israel just entering into the land. And the Gibeonites, children, you remember, the Gibeonites came to them. And he made, an, he made a, a covenant with them. He swore to them that he would not harm them. And even though they had deceived Joshua and the people, the covenant was upheld because he had swore by the name of the Lord. The Apostle Paul often uses the, uh, an oath formula in his epistles. For example, in Romans 1, 9, we read, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. God, Paul calls on the, the Lord to be his witness. God is my witness, whom I serve that I, without ceasing, make mention of you always in my prayers. So our Lord Jesus, in this, when he says in verse 34, swear not at all, is not saying that we may not swear oaths or take vows. Because they are They're allowed, and God himself swears them. But the question is, well, what is Jesus saying then? And when is it okay to swear an oath or take a vow? Well, Jesus is instructing his people. And he is saying to them, first and foremost, I want you to be people. I want you to be members of the kingdom of God. I want you who call yourselves Christians to be marked by a life of truthfulness where we mean what we say. 
One commentator says, Jesus is saying a simple yes or no should be all that is needed. As soon as it is necessary to bolster it with an oath in order to persuade others to believe what is said, the ideal of transparent truthfulness has been compromised. Jesus, in these words of our, of our, of our text, in third, Matthew 5, 33 through 37, is addressing and confronting a particular error and teaching of the religious Jews of his day. An error that is, that at the root of it is an abuse and a misuse of God's holy name and his character. There were those among the religious leaders who held that certain oaths and vows you, you could recite them, but then they would not be, you would not be obligated to fulfill them. And they would reason their way out of it. One commentator says, the Jews held that unless the name of God was specifically mentioned, the oath was not binding. And there were lengthy discussions about when an oath is or is not binding. And people would sometimes swear by heaven or earth or a similar oath, and later claimed that they were not bound by that oath because God was not mentioned. And Jesus is rejecting this twisting of truth, twisting of words, the playing with words. The Jews were taking oaths, calling on heaven and earth and Jerusalem and their, even their own head as a guarantee that their words were truthful words. But then because the, the, the oath was not grounded in, in the character of God and the name of God, they would change their minds because their words were not binding. In a sense, Jesus is saying, do not abuse, do not misuse my name, the name and character of God, when you take oaths. And even when you swear by the heaven, remember that as Jesus is going to elaborate in these verses. Remember, when you swear by the heaven, you're swearing by God's throne. Or when you're swearing by the earth, you're swearing by God's footstool. Or when you're swearing by Jerusalem, you're swearing by the city of the great king of kings. Or if you're going to swear by your head, and Jesus says, remember that you have no control over changing one, the, the color of your hair from black to white or white to black. This is the, the, is only what the king of kings can do. And instead of just swearing haphazardly, casually, without meaning what you're saying, Jesus says in verse 37, let your communication, let your speech, let your life be one that reflects truthfulness as a characteristic of life. Let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Mean what you say. But maybe you're asking why. What, why is Jesus teaching here on the place of O's in our lives? Why is this so important? Well, as we come to this second question... I'd like to consider three reasons why Christ's teaching is important. And by extension, 
why it's permissible to swear oaths religiously by the name of God. In the first place, this teaching is important because it takes seriously the name and character of the Lord. The Lord our God, we confess, is a God who is everywhere present. We confess that he is a God who is all-knowing. We confess that he is a God who is all-wise, who is holy, who is just, who is perfectly, who's perfect in every sense of the word. We confess that he knows everything about us. And so he knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're saying. And he knows whether it's true or whether we're lying. And when we swear an oath, we are acknowledging that before him. He is a God who sees, who sees perfectly. He saw Adam and Eve as they attempted to hide, as they ran in the garden after eating of the tree that they were forbidden. He saw Cain, who rather than be confronted with the truth of his brother's death, sought to distance himself and said, Am I my brother's keeper? He saw David in his attempts to cover up his sin with Bathsheba. He saw Jeroboam and his wife in their attempt to deceive the blind prophet as they sought for the Lord's will concerning their sick son. He saw Elisha's servant who deceived Naaman as he did not speak truthfully. He saw Peter sitting around that fire who swore an oath that he did not know Jesus. He understands. He knows our hearts, our minds, the words that come out of our mouth. As we, as we read in our, in our call to worship from Psalm 139, David knew this too. As he concluded that prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Our God is a God of truth and he will establish truth. The second reason Jesus' teaching on oaths is important is because we are sinners. We live in a fallen world. From the moment that Adam and Eve fell into sin and sin was perpetuated in, in us as human beings, there has been the need for truth to be told, but there's also the reality that we don't speak truth all the time. Even after grace, there's temptations to hide the truth, to diminish certain aspects of it. We know that that old man in us, dear child of God, often raises its ugly head. There's times we are tempted to not speak the truth. And so to ensure fidelity and truthfulness of what we are about to say, there may be times, there may be required, as we, as we read in the Catechism, the magistrates may require us 
to swear an oath to the truth of what is being said. And so we call on God, who knows all, to be our witness that what we are saying is truth, but also to be our judge when we don't speak truthfully. The third reason Christ's teaching on the, the place and nature of oaths is important is that because when we are people who mean what we say, and when we call on God to be our witness, we are giving him glory in that very act. God gets glory when we call on him to be the witness of our words, of the sincerity of our oaths, knowing that he judges perfectly. In a sense, this is this our truthful living in everyday life, going about our daily life in a, in a way that demonstrates truth, letting our yes be yes and our no be no, and meaning what we say on, our, on a daily basis is, is an act of worship. But also our very swearing of oaths is an act of worship. This is what Deuteronomy 10, uh, verse 20, directs our attention to. Moses writes, In verse 20, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. And we say, well, how? Well, then Moses continues, him shalt thou serve in the first place. Second, you shall cleave to him. And third, and swear by his name. The fear of God, the worship of God will involve a swearing by his name at times and places that are appropriate. Because it brings glory to him. It acknowledges him to be the God who sees and knows everything about us. Who is fully aware that we cannot save ourselves. But he is the one who can save people who by nature are untruthful. And friend, he won't give his glory to another. Which means... We can't swear to swear oaths on the names of saints or angels or anything else. And it means that when we do swear by his name, he will hold us accountable to what we have said. And when we swear by other names or by other beings or creatures or inanimate objects, We are raising them, these objects or creatures, to be, as it were, very God, to be like God. And in so doing, we detract from his glory. We minimize him. And we know that they don't know anything about us, and they cannot hold us accountable. And so are we, are we, Worshiping the Lord, even through our vows, through our life of truthfulness, um, day by day. But as we consider this last question, how, how is this relevant to us? We want to look at it from a couple of very practical aspects of life in the church. So the question we are left to address is, how, how is this relevant today in our lives? 
to my life, to your life. Well, to begin answering that question, I'd like to turn to Romans 8, 29, where, where Paul reminds us in that verse that the people of God have been predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. Or, children, as another way of putting this, so that we may be made like Jesus. Or in the words of Leviticus um, 11, verse 44, or several other places in it, so that we would be holy as the Lord our God is holy. As he says to us, be holy, for I am holy. And one of the ways that the people of God reflect the image and grow in their, in, in Christ's likeness is as we grow in truthfulness and in living truthfulness to those around us. Letting our yes be yes and our no be no. Our Lord Jesus meant every single word that he said. Every word that we read in the scriptures, he means 100%. It's not maybe, not possibly, or if you do this, then this is true. But the, every single word in this book is truth. And we can take the Lord at his word. And the people of God are to reflect this reality in our lives. We need to be people who are people of our word. Not in our own strength, no. But out of, in, in the strength of Christ, as we lean on Him to be people who mean what we say. Our talk needs to match our walk. So do our neighbors, our employers, our employees, our children, our children, your parents, your classmates, they know you to be a Christian. They know, maybe they know that you, your neighbors or your employees or your employers, they know that you go to church on Sunday, after Sunday, week after week. Maybe they know that you've committed yourself to this local body as you've confessed your faith publicly. They see you going about daily life. They hear you speaking. And as they listen to you from day to day, from week to week, do they hear one who is consistent in what they say? Are you living truthful lives? Am I living a truthful life? Are we reflecting our God, our Savior, who is truth? Do they know you to be a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, whose word can be trusted and relied upon? Or have they seen you, have they found you compromised in your witness by being inconsistent in what you say and meaning what you say? 
Do they find you having to constantly justify what you're saying with phrases like, well, to speak truthfully, or, well, to be completely honest with you? Because the question that is, that this, these statements beg is, well, were you not speaking truthfully before? If not, why should I believe you now? Or children, maybe you will say as, maybe as you're confronted by your parents on a particular issue at home or maybe by your uh, teacher, but I promise I'm telling the truth, you might say, as you tried to explain what's happened to your parents. Do you mean what you say? Is your yes a yes and your no a no? Friend, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ because of who he is and what he's done for you, for a sinner like, like we are, if you've trusted him for the salvation of your soul, friend, then it will be your desire to live holy for him. Meaning what we say. Letting our yes be yes and our no be no. And this may involve, at times, being called to swear an oath as asking God to bear witness to the truth of our words. R.C. Sproul says, There is a place for taking of vows and oaths, but Jesus is making the point that apart from every from very special circumstances, if you are a Christian, you should be known for your word. There are places, times to take oaths before the Lord, to call him to be witness for us. These are instances that we don't just rush into in, in the Christian life, but we prayerfully and carefully consider the solemnity that we're taking upon ourselves, the, the vows that we're taking upon ourselves, making these promises to God being our witness. We can find these in various occasions within our life. For those of you who are married, you've taken marriage vows. For those of you who have children and have had them baptized, you stood before the flock and before the Lord and said yes to certain questions related to the raising of your children. For those of you who have joined this local church, or maybe it's been a previous church elsewhere and membership was transferred here, you stood before this congregation and before the Lord and made vows as you professed faith. In our marriages, we've promised as husbands and wives to cherish, to nourish, to care for, to love, to be faithful. Just like Christ loves his church and is faithful to his bride, the church. And so we're called, as we've made our marriage vows, to reflect the self-sacrificial love of Christ to our spouses, loving one another, cherishing. 
so that we one day would present our spouses as a, as a gift back to the Lord. Or in our vows of confession, where we promise to, promise to wholly commit ourselves to this local church. And for those of you who are in the membership class, as you anticipate and you're thinking, praying about committing yourself to, to the church, to this local church, to the care of the church, and to be an active member in it, the yes that you're about to say, or those who are members, the yes you have said, whether it be last year or 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 40 years ago, is a, a serious yes before God and His church. And it, it's good to step back at times and reflect on what you have said you would do. You promised before Almighty God that you would do. You agreed and confessed before Him as your witness that what is being taught here in this local church is the true and complete doctrine of salvation conforming with the sacred Scriptures. This means that you will be and continue to be a student of the Word. You will need to be like the Bereans who take what's being said off this pulpit, going home and searching the Scriptures to see if these things are so. It wasn't enough to just sit through the membership class and then you were done with the searching and learning of the Scriptures. So are you people of the Word? Am I in the Word daily? We've promised and confess before God and agree to that you would promise or vow by the grace of God to continue steadfastly in the profession of this doctrine and to live and die in accordance therewith. As you look back over one, two, twenty, thirty years of membership, have you continued steadfastly? Are you continuing to grow and develop in your understanding of the teachings and doctrines of the Scripture and its implications for daily life? Well, what does that look like? Well, are you making, are you making regular use of the means of grace that God has given so that we can grow and develop? Are you faithfully placing yourself under, under the teaching and preaching of your local church? Are you participating in the fellowship of the people of God? Are you present on Sunday morning and evening services, gathering with the people of God to worship the Lord your God? Absenting ourselves from the house of God unnecessarily is a failure to keep our vows. For we absence ourselves from the fellowship of the saints. We miss out on the lively preaching of the word 
Yes, sermon audio has its place, but being here with the people of God, worshiping as a corporate body is essential. It would be rather strange in our physical bodies if, let's say, children, our hands, decided, I don't want to be part of your body anymore, and would try to disassociate with your from it. It wouldn't last very long. It needs to be integrally connected with the body. Third, we've, we've promised, as we said our yes before the Lord and the church, that we, we promise at all times to conduct ourselves conformably to this doctrine, faithful, faithfully, honorably, and beyond reproach, and to adorn our confessions with good works. Is our life, is your life, is my life being lived out in a way that is in accordance with the truths of Scripture? Do we live like we're a member of this local body, but also of Christ's glorious universal church? Is what you do every day of the week in your home or in your workplace, in your friend circles, when you're by yourself, reflective of how you have promised to live before him. Finally, as we, the fourth question, which in, in some senses is the hardest one, we finally confess and promise that we would submit to admonition, correction, church discipline in the event which God forbid that we would become remiss in doctrine or life. It's easy to say a word of yes to a question like this, but in reality, no one likes to be disciplined. But in our confession, we've promised before the Lord, that if necessary, we would submit to correction. So are we people of our word? Do we mean what we say? Do we mean what we've vowed in our relations to our marriages? When we've made confession, when we've brought our children forward for baptism? Or are these just words that we said because that was what was expected of us? And they haven't been lived out. Or do we take them seriously, striving to fulfill them every day of our lives, striving to be the men and women who mean what we say. I encourage you to go home tonight and this week reflect on the time that you made your, your public confession of faith and reflect back over the years. Oh yes, you're gonna you're going to reflect back and you're gonna recognize that you've failed many times, again and again and again. 
But friend, where does that, where do, where do you go with those failures? Those times that you fail to live up to what you have vowed? Because we've all fallen short. Where do, where do you turn? Do we go to the one who has never failed? To the one who is ever faithful? To the one who has sworn and will not repent that Jesus would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek? Will we go to the one who ever lives to make intercession for us? Will we go to the one who, who having by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high? Will we go to the one in whom all the promises of God are yea and amen? To the one who has established his people in Christ, who has sealed them with his spirit? Do we go to the one who promises to keep and preserve his people? Friend, do you go? Does it drive you to the Lord Jesus Christ? The one who is the truth, the way, and the life. Do you turn to him in confession and repentance and confessing your failure to keep your vows? Seeking for his strength, for his grace, for his mercy to be the people that he calls us to be. Both in our actions and in our words. So friend, as we come to the, to the end of the sermon, are you people who are people of your word? Not in your own strength, but relying on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is your witness one of Christ's likeness in being, letting your yes be yes, and your no be no. Amen. Faithful, glorious Lord, whose word is truth, who is the truth. Lord, we come acknowledging that we so often fail, we so often fall short of being people of our word. And Lord, do wash us and cleanse us in the blood of Christ. And Lord, out of his strength and out of his power, help us to live lives that reflect truth so that we would be people of our word and that we would be known for truthfulness. Help us to to live and to fulfill the vows that we have made. And Lord, can forgive us. Forgive the many times that we have failed in this regard. And wash us again in the blood of Christ who cleanses from all sin. Help us this week to serve Thee to live for thee, and to be lights and salt in this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.